Well, what's up? Hey, how are you? I'm a little informal. I like to say what's up at the beginning of my sermon. So good to see you guys tonight. For those of you who don't know me, which I know the majority of you guys, but I'll formally introduce myself. My name is Anthony Hiltz. Uh, my wife was uh, the blonde lady that was up here doing announcements. We have four beautiful children, and we serve here as elders. And so we are here uh, tonight. And um, well, actually, I should say I'm always dropping something. So uh, I'm here tonight preaching the third part of this series that we're in called Autumn on the Mount because our campus pastor, Justin, is away this weekend. Let me move that up a little bit. And so Pastor Justin is away this weekend, and he asked me to step in. I'm going to move to the left a little bit because that heat, if you can't see, like, the shining sun on me, it's super hot. So I'm going to move to the left a little bit here. But um, I'm here preaching the third part of our series called Autumn on the Mountain. It's a joy for me to do that because as I was praying to preach, and what should I preach on, um, the last time I preached, I think it was back in May, I really felt the Lord lead me to this particular scripture that I'm going to preach out of tonight. And so uh, when Justin was saying he's gonna, he was going to be in the Sermon on the Mountain, yeah, just pick anything, I really felt strongly that Jesus wanted me to preach uh, this message that I'm going to preach tonight. So it was a joy for me to prepare it, and I hope it blesses you as well. And so um, as we're exploring the teachings of Christ um, through the Sermon on the Mount, there are a wide variety of topics that Jesus touches on. Um, anytime I read my Bible, I try to be in a habit of reading a chapter a day. But when I get to the Sermon on the Mount, typically I just read it in sections because it's so deep and there's so much that Christ is trying to communicate to us. And so Jesus says some pretty shocking things. Can we, can we all agree on that? He says some very, very shocking things, and we see that in the Sermon on the Mount. The scripture that I'm going to preach on tonight is Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. And so what we see here is Jesus talking about something that's very, very um, challenging for us and challenging for them as well. He's talking about adultery, and he's talking about lust, and he's also calling us to drastic measures to avoid sin drastic and somewhat shocking measures to avoid sin. And so I'm excited to dive right into this text tonight because I love to just explore what Jesus is talking about and try to explain it because uh, it's just amazing. This word of God is so rich. There's so much in it that God will use the word to transform you. Um, not only does the gospel save you, but the gospel changes you. And so the words of Jesus draw you to himself, and then the words of Jesus make you like himself. And so um, when we come to the scriptures, we should read them with expectation of what God wants to speak to us through the truths expressed inside of them. We should expect our worldview to be challenged, our conviction convictions to be shaped and molded by this beautiful Bible. And so you might be met with some things that you don't necessarily A, understand, or B, necessarily jive with, but it's our job at that moment when we come to those points in Scripture to submit ourselves to the author and creator of life, our Heavenly Father. And so um, this scripture that we're going to talk about tonight is very in-depth and very deep. And so I'm just going to dive right into it. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time um, setting everything up. I just want to dive into it. I want to pray about it, and then I want to preach it. Is that fine? All right, cool. So I don't have a clicker, so my finger is going to be my clicker for my, my, there you go, Ben's already on it. And so uh, Ben clicked to the next slide. And so um, if you can look up to the left or look to the right or look at the Bible in front of you, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. We're going to read this scripture right here. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation tonight. And so here we, say, we see Jesus talking to the people on the mountain. This is what he says. 
He says, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Christ. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came and he called us out of our sin. He called us out of the dead, Lord. He called us out of the grave and he made us alive again. Thank you for this word that challenges us, this word that shapes us, and this word that encourages us. Lord, I pray everyone under the sound of my voice would be encouraged to walk more like Jesus, Father. That we would be encouraged to be more like you because of your great love for us. Help us in the hard moments of this scripture. We're just trying to figure out with what is Jesus meaning by these drastic things that he's saying help us understand let your holy spirit work in our hearts in jesus name amen mic not working okay good to go is that better no more static okay so let's move to the next slide so drastic measures what we see in this text is some very very drastic things that jesus is saying matter of fact they're somewhat dramatic in that he's calling us to gouge out our eye and cut off our hand very drastic things he's saying to keep us from falling into sin and falling into the sin of adultery and lusting. So I have three questions for you tonight that we're going to talk about. The entire sermon is based on these three questions. Let's go to the next slide. The first one is what are you thinking about? What are you looking at? And what are you reaching for? These are the three questions that I walk away with after spending some time with these passages of Scripture. And these are going to be the three areas of focus tonight. So let me repeat them again. What are you thinking about? What are you looking at? And what are you reaching for? Look, my initial thought when I read this scripture was for the first time was, okay, this is pretty serious. I mean, this is extreme. Jesus is talking about self-mutilation. Who here has never got to, ever got to the scripture and was like, what in the world does this mean? Am I the only one? Okay, thank you. Let, let's be honest in here tonight. I mean, couldn't it even be beneficial for us to gouge out our own eye doing this to ourselves? I mean, look, I couldn't imagine having one hand, but I really couldn't imagine, like, having one hand because I did it to myself, right? I mean, this is shocking. And so what is Jesus talking about, and how is this even applicable to our lives at first glance? I mean, if you're anything like me, maybe the first time you came to this scripture, you were like, okay, okay, okay. All right, Jesus. Um, it's kind of extreme. It's, it's kind of crazy. I don't know that I really understand it. So I'm just going to pass it up and go on to the next scripture. Let me go to something that's a little bit easier to apply to my life. Like, let's go to the do not worry passage in Matthew 6. I, I like that. I can apply do not worry. It's rather hard for me to figure out how to apply gouge. But that's not an excuse. And so, hey, man, I'm just as guilty as you guys may be sometimes where you get to the scripture and you're like, I this is challenging and this is hard and sometimes we just move on. And so Pastor Justin said weeks ago that we need to wrestle with the scripture. And you can't say that you're wrestling with something if you're not actively spending time trying to figure it out, trying to see what's going on. And so you could say I'm wrestling with this, but if you're not truly trying to figure out, you're not wrestling with it. You're just kind of letting those thoughts pass. And so before we go any further tonight, I want us to Let's just go back to these three questions again. Think about these three questions the entire time. What are you thinking about? What are you looking at? And what are you reaching for? 
What we see here is Jesus using an example. He's using a rather extreme example, and we don't see him calling us to literally go gouge out your eye or to cut off your hand. So place those pens back down, please. I hope no one gouged their eye out or was trying to develop a plan to cut off their hand. He's not calling us to do that, okay? But what we do see is that Jesus uses stories. He uses examples. And sometimes he uses extreme things like parables that we might not see and understand and make sense to teach people the word of the Lord. Because what we see here is Jesus calling us to drastic measures. He wants you to see how horrible sin is. So you think gouging out an eye is horrible. He's like, sin is horrible, and you need to do everything you can to guard against it. What he's trying to do is to get our attention to the realities of how devastating this is. And so just as shocked as we are here today to hear him saying this, they were just as shocked then. But, but why our hand? Why our eyes? I mean, you could have said, hey, cut your ear off. Why these body parts? So we're going to talk a bit about that tonight because I really think Jesus cares what you're looking at and what you're reaching for. Look, following Jesus looks a lot differently than the world. Following Jesus is something that's shocking. Following Jesus will require us to say no to some things that people in the world are going to think you're crazy for even trying to resist. Following Jesus might find you standing out of a crowd like a crazy person who gouged out his eye and cut off his hand. But just what does he mean by this? I mean, why so extreme? Why these drastic measures? Let's go to the next slide and get to our first point. What are you thinking about? So he starts off by saying, you have heard the command that says you must not commit adultery. I love that Jesus starts off here. It's like, if I could just paraphrase Jesus for a minute, it's almost like he's saying, look, you know that I know that you know better and that adultery is sin. I like to paraphrase Jesus and picture him to be kind of, you know, just real casual sometimes, but straight and direct and to the point, speaking the language of the people. And so what he's just saying here is, look, you know that adultery is sin. And everyone who was on the mount during that time surely would have understood that the, there is a command, and God's command that says adultery is sin. And so very similarly to then, I think we can connect and relate with them. I'm almost positive everyone in here understands that God's command is do not commit adultery. And so he starts off with an assumption that you already know what it is. But let's define adultery because we like to do that, right? We want to define this word to make sure that we're not committing it. And so I went to Google real quick and I searched the word adultery and I found out that it means voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse. So that's pretty cut and dry, right? It's straight to the point. Simply put, being unfaithful to your spouse is against God's law. Point blank, cheating on your spouse is sinful. There's no way around that. So he starts off by saying that. But let's move to the next slide. Let's go on to the next part. Jesus says, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Period. So Jesus ups the ante as he always does, and his definition is drastically different than that of Google's. It's different than Webster's. It's different than our definition of adultery might be. You see, he knew their hearts then, and he knows our hearts now. He knew that we would define adultery as simply the act, not the thought. But here he is on the Sermon on the Mount telling us that the sin begins when the thought of lust is inside one's heart being entertained way before the action is ever committed. Matter of fact, you could think about it, never commit the act, and you've already committed adultery. For what happens in one's heart is just as sinful as what happens with one's actions. So let me pause for a minute. Some of you in here tonight have never committed adultery with your spouse. You've never slept around with your spouse. Uh, 
on your spouse and slept with someone else in bed, but you've likely done it numerous times in your brain. That mere enjoyment you receive from thinking about committing the act of adultery internally is itself just as wrong as committing the act externally. And if you don't deal with what is causing you to lust, it could affect your eternity. It's sin. And Jesus is letting us know here that we're not off the hook just because we haven't acted out those thoughts. He's showing us how guilty we are for even entertaining them. So by Jesus' definition, most of us are likely guilty of adultery to some extent at some point in time. This surely would have shaken up everybody then as it shakes up people in our culture today. As it likely shakes you up right now as I'm talking to you guys about this scripture and saying, if you've ever done this, then welcome to the adultery club. You've likely done it. This is something that we all scoff at probably. We're like, are you serious? And this is Jesus says some very, very shocking things. And so this would have shaken them up then. And I'm telling you right now that it's likely shaking some of you up. This statement by Christ is something that people would have thought of when he first said it, that um, you know the command, um, God's command says do not commit adultery. And people would have thought, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. I've never done that. I'm good. I love my wife. Never cheat on her. Never have. Never will. But in their mind, they're doing it over and over again. So Jesus decided to be very clear that the purity he's calling you to is not just with your outward actions. So my initial response, let me just be honest, when I first came to this scripture, it's like, okay, hold on a second. Um, I mean, come on, Jesus. I'm just looking at this girl. I'm just, I'm just looking at some images in the mall. I'm just kind of, I saw a girl glance by me. I, I put that thought in my mind to maybe act on later or not. And I, I kind of looked up the girl up and down at work or at school or whatever it is. You, wait, wait a second. You're saying that that's sin? Come on. I mean, I, Jesus, I, you know, I didn't do anything. I mean, I'm not hurting anybody. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking that you're not hurting anybody. First and foremost, by committing this act internally, you are hurting yourself. First and foremost, you're hurting yourself. But ultimately, you're hurting God because you're choosing sin instead of him. You're choosing to fall victim to the lust and to allow the momentary pleasures of sin to reign in your heart over him. So you're sinning against God, you're hurting yourself, and let me be very clear with you. Don't ever tell yourself that, well, if she doesn't know or if my spouse doesn't know, then I'm not hurting them. Well, that's not the case because you know as well as I do. If you're hiding sin, if you're hiding adultery inside of your heart and you're not telling your spouse you haven't confessed it, that's you acting on the that's you acting on the truth that you know that they would be hurt if they found out. And so the very fact that you are doing that, if you are, There's like a tidal wave coming for your spouse, coming for your significant other, ready to just hit them and crash upon them. Because sin damages and sin destructs. And so let's not fall into the trap of saying, Jesus, it's just in my mind, I'm I'm not doing it. The purity that Jesus is calling you to goes far beyond your outward actions. What he's essentially saying here is that he's calling you to purity in your heart and mind. He's not just going after your actions. He's going after your affections. And if God gets your affections, that will affect your actions. And so if he gets your affections, that will affect your actions. And so God is coming after your heart. And Jesus is going after our heart. He's talking with them about heart issues So let me get back to the first of the three questions that we're considering tonight. What are you thinking about? What are the things that are going on in your heart that nobody knows about? What are the things going on that actually somebody does know about and that you know that God knows, but you're too scared 
to confront it. God knows, God knows that we're going to be attacked. God knows that we're going to be tempted. And nobody in here, nobody under the sound of my voice, it doesn't matter how young you are, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter if you're a man, if you're a woman, doesn't matter if you're single, doesn't matter if you're married, widowed, divorced, wherever you are, you are vulnerable to falling victim to lust Lust filling your heart. And so just look at this world that we live in. I was listening to a sermon as I was preparing for this message, and this pastor said, look, you can't even scroll through Instagram without seeing somebody half naked. It's sad. It's hard to scroll through Facebook without seeing something that the enemy wants to use to fill your heart and mind with lust. And look, you have an enemy that hates you. You have an enemy that will love nothing more than to sidetrack your salvation. And so he's going to try to get your eye off Christ and to get your eye on a crystal. Or maybe he wants to get your eye on Christopher and your eye off of Christ, ladies. But the enemy wants to do everything he can to torment you. And here's the good news, that if you're in Christ, he can't sidetrack your salvation. So he's going to try to make your life horrible. It's up to you. Are you going to allow that to happen? The purity that Jesus is calling us to goes far beyond our outward actions. So I'm here to tell you that if you're wrestling with something, if you're thinking about something so much that maybe it's become a part of how you operate, you might, be, might have been wrestling with a sin for so long that you've been decades in dealing with this particular sin, and you think, I can't tell anybody. I don't want them to know. I'll be embarrassed. I can't be transparent. You've been so stuck in a dark room of lust that you don't know the way out. Let me tell you, there is a way out, and that way out is lit up by the path of Jesus Christ and his blood for you God wants you to come out of that dark room. God wants to speak life to you. God wants to change you. And I'm also here to tell you that as a Christian, you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you can conquer anything that's going on in your life. Any addiction, anything that you've been thinking about so much that you don't know how to conquer, let me tell you this. Let me read you this scripture. Romans 8. Verse 11 through 12 says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by his same spirit living in you. So what are you thinking about? And if there's freedom to be found, if there's Holy Spirit power that we have, how do we exercise this power over these thoughts that we may be having? How do we live a life of purity, not just in our actions, but with our affections? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go to the next point. Let me get some water. Okay, so Jesus goes on to say, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So I believe Jesus goes straight to talking about the eye because he's well aware that we are going to be affected by the direction in which our eyes are looking in. So if he's saying that if you look at another woman with lust, of course, the first thing, excuse me, the first thing he's going to talk about is what is doing the looking. So he's talking about the eye. Like I was just talking about moments ago, images on social media are filled with uh, you know, sexual arousal, things to try to get our minds off track, plastered on billboards, sex is paraded during commercials and sung about so contagiously in the songs that we sing. The marketing statistics are in and clearly sex sells. And so everything from health supplements to internet websites are now being promoted to attract you sexually. 
So you must be on guard. You must take this scripture at heart because you're not immune to falling victim to lust. And if you think, I'm good, let me just tell you this. That's the first step down the wrong path because pride comes before the fall. So we need to be on guard. We need to be careful about the direction in which we allow our eyes to go. We need to guard our hearts above all else for it determines the course of our life. Proverbs 4, verse 23. I mean, Jesus goes on to say later in the Sermon on the Mount that your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. But if that light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a battle going on for your affections, and your eyes can easily be persuaded to look elsewhere. It's up to you to take charge of your gaze, your gaze and redirect it. So I ask again, well, what are you looking at? What are you allowing yourself to indulge in that's causing you harm? What are you looking at that's causing you to sin by lusting? I feel empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to tell you right now, hey, gouge it out. It's time to start gouging. Yeah, it might be painful at first. I would imagine gouging out your eye is very, very painful. Similarly to someone, excuse me. So look, no one in here wants to gouge out their eye and bring pain to themselves by doing so. The mere, fa- uh, the mere thought of that turns our stomachs. Yet similarly, some of us, we may feel the same about gouging out these things that I'm calling you to gouge out. You've become so accustomed to the things that you're looking at that you don't even want to think about touching that. That's your idol. You don't want that touched You don't want that messed around with. But Jesus is saying, look, it's better for you to get that gouged out. The things that are causing us to sin that we may or may not have been dealing with for decades, these things like monitoring what we watch on TV, this is going to be healthy for you. This may be new for some of you guys, but you know what? Maybe you need to monitor what you watch on TV. Maybe you need to rid your life of social media. Maybe you need to um, be open and be transparent with somebody in your life, a brother and sister in Christ, who can encourage you to not look at Sally or Sam in the workplace, to not store up those images in your heart. You might think because you're just kind of looking at someone who's not naked that you're not indulging in some sort of pornography. But if you're looking at anybody, you could be a fully clothed person with lust in your heart. You've committed adultery. You need to to direct your gaze away from the things that want to tempt you. Look, I've been walking down streets before and in malls and completely jumped to the other side of the street. And I don't even care what I look like to these crazy people who think I'm crazy because I'm trying to steer clear of this nonsense. I need to continually walk in victory. And let me just be honest, I don't deal with some of these things like I used to because I'm practicing these things that Jesus talks about in the scripture. This is not a... Um, sort of level that you achieve where you're like, all right, I'm good. I'm never going to get attacked again. This is something that you walk in. This is something that you practice. And this is something that you avoid. Make sure that your eyes are being directed in the right direction. But let's just be honest. We fall victim to these things over and over again because sin feels good momentarily momentarily we get a little bit of enjoyment, we get a little bit of satisfaction, and so we run back to that. And the reason why we keep running back is because it ultimately does not satisfy. So if we're looking for satisfaction, we need to look to the one that ultimately satisfies, and we need to turn our eyes to Jesus. We need to fix our gaze away from the momentary satisfaction of sin into Jesus who gives ending, never-ending satisfaction through our relationship with him. And so that's where we need to find our enjoyment. That's where we need to find what we're looking for. 
So let me read you the last part of this verse again in case it didn't sink in. You need to hear Jesus, our Savior, saying, It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's, that's pretty straight and to the point. So listen, you follow what you're looking at. The direction of your gaze determines the steps of your feet. And if you look far enough in one direction, you're going to start going in that direction. You're ultimately putting yourself at risk of falling more in love with sin than you are with Jesus. The more and more you fall out of love with Jesus, and the more and more you fall in love with sin, you may never say these things with your lips, but you'll be saying with your life that you love sin more than you love God. Maybe your life is saying that I trust in lust instead of I trust in the Lord. Friends, this is... This road, this slippery slope, this does not lead to everlasting life. This leads to destruction. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you need to avoid that. Like at all costs, like cut things off, gouge them out. Do whatever you have to do to stay away from the darkness. If you see images on Facebook or social media that are causing you to lust, man, look, say adios to Instagram. Say farewell to Facebook. Start unfriending people. Start blocking people. Start unfollowing people. Maybe you need to just get rid of social media altogether. That would be phenomenal, and that would be awesome. Unfriend some of these folks because it will be better for your heart and for your soul. Better for you to lose one Facebook friend than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus' answer is always keeping us from lust. I'm sorry. Jesus is always trying to keep us from things that are going to destroy us. You may think, God just doesn't want me to have any fun. Look, God doesn't want you to have anything in your life that's going to take his place on the throne of your heart. And so nothing is off limits. Nothing is off limits. So you need to think about what you're looking at. You need to Ask some people in your life. If you're married, ask your spouse. If you're in a relationship, ask the person you're in a relationship with. If you have some really good friends that are very close to you, ask them, hey, do you see anything in my life? Or maybe just be honest. Hey, I'm struggling. Because when I go to work, Sam or Sarah or whoever or Sally or somebody's always wearing that thing I like and I need to avoid that. Can you help me? Can you help me? Can you pray with me? You just need to be open and be honest with people in your life so that they can walk with you and they can hold you accountable. Let's go to the next slide. What are you reaching for? So Jesus says here, and if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Look, what we see here is when Jesus says things, it's always important. I imagine we all can agree on that, right? You see red words in the Bible. Jesus said it. It's very important. The entirety of the Bible is important, but let's just be real. When you see those red words, God in the flesh saying something, let's take heed to it. When he says it twice... Look, when I say something to my kids twice, I mean, I really want them to stop. I'm like, stop running. Stop running. So he's saying this twice, like verbatim, like the same exact thing. And so we need to take heed. So that was just a little extra, but I just felt I needed to say that. So, uh, so here we have it again. Jesus saying, hey, look, you need to remove something. You need to remove something from your life. And so he's going directly after our hand because I think that Jesus knows that we're reaching for things that we shouldn't be reaching for. I think that he knows there are things in your life that you're reaching for that are causing you to go down that track that leads away from life and that leads to destruction. And so I think that what Jesus is getting at here. For some of us tonight, not everybody, but I'm sure some of us in here have unfortunately been enslaved to the beast of pornography. 
I'm just going to be real and honest. Before I knew Jesus Christ, I was enslaved to the beast and the monster of pornography. Yeah, you know that white elephant that's been in the room the entire time that we've been talking about lust, the entire time we've been talking about looking. Yeah, that elephant, that was something that I had to wrestle with before I came into a relationship with Christ. And when I did, by the power of God, he started to show me, man, cut these things off. Similarly to an alcoholic, likely should not have alcohol in their house, would be on their first journey to freedom. Cut these things off that are causing you to sin. And when I received that from God, I just started to do it. And by God's grace, the more and more I've started to redirect my gaze, the more and more I started to cut off the things in my life that were leading me to sin, to cut off the things that I was reaching for. By his grace, I started to become a new person. And these things didn't have a grip on me like they used to. I am not holier than thou. But you know what? I'm sure for some of you, you might be thinking, well, that's good. Good for you. you you've dealt with it. Good for you. You told somebody. Good for you. You can stand up there with a microphone and, and talk about it because you're on the opposite side. But me, I'm dealing with it. Me, I'm trapped inside of it. Me, I don't even know who to talk to about what I'm going through right now. But I want you to know, look. God's grace is so beautiful, and God's grace is, I don't know if this is the best way to say it, but it's not a respecter of persons. It doesn't show any more favor to me than its grace would show to you, because God's grace is just as good for you as it was for me and as it was for everybody else in this place. And so Jesus cares just as much about you, and he knows what you're going through just as much as he cared about me. And so I believe that God wants to come and help you tonight and rid you of the things that you're dealing with. There's grace there is amazing grace available to you. And just in case you might be thinking, man, we're in church, and you're talking about pornography, and you're talking about all these crazy things. Um, look, pornography is an issue, so it must be addressed. And so this scripture here, I kind of went back and forth on whether or not I should go into this um, and talk as much about this issue. But the more and more I studied the statistics of pornography use within the church, I felt like I had to go hard against it. Because there's studies that show 64% of men ages 13 and older in the church access pornography once a month. 34% of women who read Today's Christian Woman, which is an online newsletter, admitted to intentionally accessing porn. These are not, I was on Facebook, something popped up, and I swiped away, and I didn't want to see it. These are intentional men and women going after pornography. And the average kid, the average age of a kid that's exposed to pornography is 11 years old. There are actually some studies that show between 8 and 9 years old, as me and Pastor Justin were talking. Bottom line is, it's, it's not good. Technology has sped up everything in our culture. It speeds up a lot of things, and unfortunately, it speeds up sin. And so tablets, mobile phones, and laptop computers are three things that we're reaching for as a culture that are leading us further and further and further into sin. We're reaching for these things because we think when we're by ourselves and we're alone, no one will know. And then we try to convince ourselves, well, if I, if I convince myself that I didn't do that, I don't have to tell anybody else. I can just act like it didn't happen. No, it's not how it works. The absence of accountability in your life is leading to destruction if you're continuing down this path. And so what Jesus is saying, I think, is very, very applicable to us now. And he's saying, look, cut off your hand if it's causing you to sin. Well, I believe this is very applicable to now to say, look, cut off whatever device you're reaching for that might be causing you to sin. Cut it off. Throw it away. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Whole websites are created. 
to facilitating affairs. It's crazy. Whole websites are created to help people do these things. So ladies and gentlemen, think before you reach for a mobile device. Think. Make sure your your intentions are holy. Make sure your intentions are good when you're sending a text message to your coworker, to anybody. Make sure that your intentions are pure and don't don't slide in someone's DMs. Just don't do it. If you don't know what that means, that's not good. I really I had to realize who I was talking for to for a minute. I was like, let me just explain that. It's essentially secretly sending messages to someone where you think that nobody else can see it. It's a slippery, slippery, slippery slope. And parents, let me just, yeah, I thought that was funny. Parents, let me just tell you this. Think before you place a device in the hands of your kids. iPods are like iPhones, if you didn't know that. It's not just for music. Like, they can go on everything that anybody else can go on with an internet browser. If you give your kid an iPhone, an Android, whatever it is, any sort of mobile device, make sure that you're teaching with them about the importance of what they're doing. Make sure that you're setting them up for success. If they're not ready to handle the responsibilities that go along with having something that has the entire world at the palm of their hands, then you need to really think about why am I doing this? Why am I giving them a tool that could dig out the impurities in their heart and that can get them on this track of falling headfirst into sin? I know that This is something that maybe you think about, maybe you have thought about, or maybe you don't think about as much. But the importance is that with our children, we're inspecting what we expect. If you expect your kids to use whatever device you've given them, then inspect it. Make sure that they're using it right. And I know for me and my wife, I can say that we do checks of our kids' iPods and iPads. Hey, let me see that. Let's look at it. And so there's various different things. You could do the old school, like, look at it when they don't know you're looking at it. You know what I'm saying? Look at it whenever you ask them to bring it to you. There's the um, there's this circle. It's an online security tool. It's this device you can get. There's also two accountability apps, one called Accountable to You and one called Covenant Eyes. And these things aren't just good for children. They're good for us as well because we're not immune to falling victim to some of these things as well. But I think with children, we think, oh, they're going to be fine. And then we don't just sit down to have the hard conversations because one thing that you need to know is there's this phenomenon going on right now that's not just pornography like you may have defined it 20 years ago. But there's also something going on called sexting. Does anybody know what this is? Sexting is essentially a term that means sending sexually explicit messages to somebody's phone. The message can come in a wide variety of different ways, via text, via um, images, via videos. It could be in a wide variety of ways, and it's running rampant. 15% of teenagers are sending sex messages. 4% of 12-year-olds, 7% of 14- to 17-year-olds, and 19% of 18 to 20-year-olds have sent a sex message. You might think, oh, man, my kid's good. My kid would never do that. Look, prayerfully, that's the case for all of the children under the sound of my voice and everybody because this said to 24 years old. But prayerfully, that's the case for all of us. But you still need to inspect it. You still need to have these conversations with your children about their devices. You still need to, man, have these conversations with your friends about what's going on in their heart and with their devices. The reality is, when it comes to this whole sex message thing, 21% of 14 to 20-year-olds have received one. So, so the number of people that receive these messages are higher. So you may have a child who really would not send these things, who really is striving to be pure. That doesn't mean that all their friends are. 
And that doesn't mean that they're immune from having people send these things to them. So I know I'm throwing a lot of statistics at you guys, but I, I really feel it's important for you guys to understand the destructive nature of pornography. And there's, look, the enemy's crafty, man, and he's going to try anything he can to penetrate your heart and to get you down the wrong track. And so you need to be on guard. and You need to fight against it. And so you need to watch what you're reaching for. So let's get back to this scripture we're studying as we get ready to come to a close. I believe what Jesus is saying here is that cutting off your hand is super relevant because he knows that we're grabbing for things. And it might not be this. It might not be that these are the things that you're grabbing for. But there might be some things that you're reaching for that you need to rethink. There might be some things. And so I think we need to go back to this scripture and hear Jesus say, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So if you're falling victim to the lust fueled by pornography, cut it out. Cut it off. Let's stop. Make the wise decision right now before it's too late to say no. Or maybe you just need to get rid of your phone altogether. Maybe you need to have a phone that doesn't have access to these things. Maybe you need a dumb phone. There's literally nothing wrong with that. I think we, like, chuckle about that. Everybody see those, like, there's, like, um, commercials where it's, like, this phone that literally does nothing but call which is why we invented phones in the first place. It sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy to you guys. It sounds radical. Kind of sounds like somebody telling you 2,000 years ago to cut off your hand. How do you think they felt when Jesus encouraged them to do that? As extreme as it sounded to them is as extreme as it may sound to us. Do whatever you can to walk in purity and don't care about what anybody else says. Because you need to care about what Jesus says. So I'm call the worship team up. So as they come up, I feel like Jesus is saying to some of you guys, hey, what is it that you're reaching for? It's time to get rid of it. He knows what it is. I likely, maybe I've touched on it, maybe I have not, but I know that the Holy Spirit of God is in this place and he's working through this scripture that we're talking about. And I trust that he's talking to your heart, that there likely is something that you need to let go of. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. What Jesus is essentially saying is this. Do you want the freedom of forgiveness or the flames of hell? You love what you choose. And if you're choosing over and over and over and over again to fall victim to lust, to fall victim to this sinful behavior, it could be that your heart doesn't belong to God. It could be that you just got so far off track that you don't even know how to get out of that dark room. Well, as I told you at the beginning, there's a way out. And that way out is lit up by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the light that he will bring to your life as you step into the light. You know that way that I'm talking about that leads to everlasting life? That's Jesus Christ. He was perfect. He was perfect. He died a sinner's death on the cross for your imperfect life so you can be brought into relationship with the Father. And he's giving you the Holy Spirit to change you, to make you new, and to work in your life something that you could never possibly dream of. He's going to make you a new person. Look, I've been a Christian for nine years. To think that I'd be here talking to you guys about staying away from the things that I used to be enslaved to is mind-boggling. That's what the Spirit of God does to people as he changes us. He makes us new. He'll make you new. Whatever you're going to, whatever you're looking at, whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're reaching for, he'll change you. 
as we go um, into worship tonight, I want you to think about what are these things that I need to lay down? And if you're in here and you're not a Christian and you, you, maybe you're not in a relationship with God, you need to know this, that the only power that you can receive is the power that you receive from him. And so this power assumes a relationship. You need to be in a relationship with Christ to conquer these things. Look, you might conquer some bad habits, but you'll ultimately be swapping bad habits for another because there's no true freedom and forgiveness until you're in a relationship with Christ. There's no true freedom like the freedom that Christ offers. So you might stop a few sinful behaviors, but you'll never stop yourself from going down the path of eternal judgment if you don't submit your life to the one who loves you, the one who made you, the one who's calling you to be new. Let's go flip to the next page. Okay, I'm going to read this, uh, these two scriptures here. John 3, 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then Paul goes on to say in Romans 10 that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Look, you're never going to be disgraced. What you're going through, you think it's unspeakable to even talk about. God doesn't have shame for you. God doesn't have disgrace for you. You might be feeling some regret, and as long as that regret and sorrow brings you to the foot of the cross, then that's holy. But when that regret and that shame takes you away from God, that's condemnation. And there's no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ. There's none. Don't don't misunderstand conviction and condemnation, okay? Tonight, if you've received anything, if you're, if you're spurred to change, only be spurred by the love he has for you because he has love for you, and that's conviction. Condemnation will tell you, I'm horrible, I'm worthless, I'm gonna go home and throw a pity party for myself right now because I'm in bad shape. That's not the life God has for you. So we're gonna go into worship, and my wife and I are gonna be here. We would love to pray with you. Um, Dean and Susan are in the back. They would love to pray with you as well. So as we go into worship, ask God, what am I thinking about? What am I looking at? What am I reaching for that I need to stop? Provide the sacrifice. You provide the spirit. 